Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John McComb. And I'm Eric Skoskowsbo. And tonight, I'm drinking Old Rasputin Russian Imperial Stout. <laughs> Did you get that uh, delivered? No, I bought it myself. There you go. Um... Uh, the match and always a win. And tonight I am uh, suffering from poor audio quality because I'm on my phone up in the great north woods of Wisconsin. So I was going to say, I, I, I blame that. Wisconsin, not you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there you go. I thought you were going to say you blamed old Rasputin and that 9% ABV, what it was doing to your ears, but no. Not yet. Maybe in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> um. So not a not a ton going on as far as Northwestern goes, with one caveat. Um, yeah, yeah. The the announcement, you know, day after Christmas, uh, Rowan Brumbaugh, the you know, prize jewel of the basketball recruiting uh, season this year, decommitted. Um, and you, one might ask, well, wait a second, wasn't signing day already? Yes, it was. But if, if you recall, uh, back in November. Brumbaugh did not sign uh, the NLI, the National Letter of Intent. He signed something else, which is much less restrictive and uh, allows him to decommit and sign somewhere else with, with no penalty. To do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to do this. Yeah. And, you know, at, at the time, you know, obviously red flag, he didn't sign. What's up? We were talking about it at the time. We said, okay, you know, he's exploring his options. He's looking at other things. He's, uh, and we, we thought of this as a good thing. Um, you know, as, but as far as Northwestern basketball is concerned, obviously this is a very bad thing. Well, in, in what's become something of a theme for the Westlot Pirates in 2021, our, our desire to think positively and find the best path forward has bitten us in the ass yet again. Uh, because we went out on Twitter, I think right back when he refused to sign the NLI and, you know, to, you know, we're not doubting him or doubting that this is the truth. But at the time that he made the decision, he specifically said that he viewed the NLI as like an unfair instrument. And that, of course, is an argument that a lot of people have made over the years about like the binding nature of an NLI and it benefiting students more than athletes. Right. And we were drawing connections to Kane Coulter and things like that and being like, look, Northwestern attracts the kind of minds, whether it be athletes or anyone else who don't think inside of a box and are looking to think outside of the box and being like, look, this to us makes it even more of a fit that he would come to Northwestern. And, and again, it's like, it could be that the two things are unrelated. It could be that, you know, and I mean, I, I think a lot of people are going to say, get your head out of the sand. This was a route to him wanting to keep his options open because he was not a hundred percent in on Northwestern. Look like we're not stupid. Um, but I'm saying, it, it's pot, you know, it's possible that one thing could be true and the other thing could be true. But regardless, right? I mean, it's hard not to look back now at his failure to sign the NLI as a warning sign in hindsight. And what happened happened. And you know, it's it's you know, people are trying to find comparisons. The times the similar things have happened in the past, et cetera. But I mean, in and of itself, this is a horrible deal for Northwestern basketball and you also can't help but fold it into the the rest of this god awful year. I mean the one the one thing to be said here is that and I think I think I'm I'm pulling a lot from Nick Medline uh here, former um was it two four seven sports uh beat writer for Northwestern. I can't exactly remember where, where he was at, but um he made makes a really good point that twenty twenty two is not the best class for Northwestern to be signing a point guard, i.e. this Brumbaugh decommitment maybe a lot more of the vein of I can find a better situation as opposed to, I don't want to play for Northwestern and in basketball, that's really important because, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, th this talented freshman class at Northwestern right now, uh, you've got Simmons who's, who's looked pretty darn good. Um, you've got a bunch of other players around them. Like, like Brumbaugh might be, you know, somewhat down the bench if he came to Northwestern in 2022, whereas 2023, that class is looking a lot more favorable for a point guard. So just like from a for what it's worth perspective, and I realize this is, you know, me stepping right back in that 
positive path forward bucket. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, like Medline's perspective and others as well was like, yeah, NLI or not, this was a this was an unexpected get and a and a long shot that we were going to keep this guy at best. Yeah, like if if he's looking if he's looking for like one and done, if he's looking to jump into the league real quickly, then yeah, Northwestern probably isn't the best fit. We don't we don't turn out one and dones. He you know if he wants to go to like Kentucky or you know any of the like the big name schools that you know turn over their entire roster every year or two. That, or that or even two sense. and done, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's like it's funny because, like you said, like we can't fight the urge to always continue to do this um, and try to, you know, find the right way to spin this and the right way to to look forward in a positive way. But this one, I mean, it really hurts. And you're right; it was absolutely wild when it first happened. And it, what was funny, I think, is when we first signed Brumba it was in the middle of just the total malaise of the football season. Mm-hmm. And at the time we were so like, it's so difficult to process that Chris Collins, given the state of his last four years as Northwestern basketball coach has somehow been able to pull this off. It's hurting our brains so much to process this that we're, we weren't even really able to talk about it on the pot for a couple of weeks because we were just like, we're so deep in football it's so difficult to wrap our heads around the fact that this happened. And then, you know, over time, you kind of talk yourself into it. And, and another thing, I think, to our own credit, and not just us, I mean, anybody, but if you were looking for reasons to view that failure to sign the NLI in the most positive light, one was that he, he played a big role in getting his high school teammate, Luke Hunger, to sign with the Wildcats. And Luke Hunger is currently the only person remaining in that 2022 basketball class. And those two guys both played for the same high school in Massachusetts. Hunger's Canadian, but, you know, it's a private school. And um, Brumbaugh, having signed, you know, played a, a huge role in Hunger signing. I mean, you could say that Hunger would have signed anyway, but it's pretty hard to, to just treat the idea that these two guys are high school teammates as a mere coincidence, right? And this is a high school that Northwestern has. Um, I believe, I, I want to say Ryan Greer's from the same high school, like there's an existing relationship there. But still, um, you know, Brumbaugh, no doubt, was a factor in hunger committing. So, but then the other piece of it, and you're right, like you can look from a, from a, from a quote-unquote X to O's perspective and relative to basketball and be like, look, he may not have had that starting job right off the bat, which for a guy who, you know, Brumbaugh is a really highly regarded point guard, you know, may not have been ideal for him, may have contributed. But again, you have to look at where we are. And not only us, a lot of people have done have done some real heavy lifting to try to spin the eight and two start that this Northwestern basketball team is on in the most positive light possible, even though to this point in time, there still isn't a heck of a lot of there there in that eight and two start. But then you fold in the previous four years, right? And it's it's been a mess. And a monster decommit like this is going to go on Chris Collins because that's where Chris Collins is in his Northwestern career right now. And I think we were kind of talking in the immediate aftermath and being like, this is a massive deal, a massive decommit that, you know, it just really hurts this program. And that on top of everything else, it, you know, put, kind of puts Collins in a position where you're like, it kind of feels like turning your bust here. Like if, if it doesn't happen here, given this on top of everything else, I just don't see how he survives another year. I just don't buy it. I like, I, I, and that's not to say that I think he should stay or has done anything to deserve another year. Um, I just don't think Northwestern is going to move fast in this, in this space. I don't think, um, Dr. Greg is a, uh, is a knee jerk kind of AD. I, I know nothing. I'm just, I'm, I'm just looking at the tea leaves that have been Northwestern of the past and, you know, coming off of this football season, you know, coming off of a second year of, of, of COVID mangled athletics in college. Um, I would be absolutely stunned. Um, you know, b- barring like a like a total collapse in conference, right? Um, 
I mean, they go over in conference or they or go, you know, four and 16 or whatever it is like, yeah, maybe I just, I just don't think that they're, I, I don't think they're going to move on from Collins this year. And, and I think the reality with Brumbaugh is that assuming, you know, boo boo is going to be back next year. Like there would be no playing time for him at Northwestern. Right. And all Collins needs to do is ink a really promising looking point guard for 23 and like problem solved. And the transfer portal is wide open. Like that gives us a scholarship that we can bring someone else in. So it's like, it, it sucks, you know, visually it, it, you know, doesn't look good for the program, but this is not the end of the world for Northwestern. We will move on and we'll see what happens. I, I just, I just want to go on the record here. If Northwestern makes the tournament, fine. If Northwestern doesn't make the tournament and makes the NIT, uh, okay, fine. If Northwestern doesn't make the NCAA tournament, the NIT, Chris Collins is getting fired. I just want to be 100% clear about that. I don't care what's going on right now. Like, he could have <laughs> been fired when Greg first took over, like, you're, this past year. Dude, you're not wrong, but it's just, like, we've never seen Northwestern operate like that you know it's it's a third and fourth and fifth chance type school unless you do something cuckoo for cocoa puffs and i just i, I just want to be clear it's it's possible northwestern makes the tourney i don't want to seem like i'm going down the hill on this particular northwestern team who are sitting at eight and two and beat maryland at maryland this team may get it done and if they do it's going to save chris collins's job but i just like like i like I feel like Northwestern basketball nation is going to absolutely lose his mind if they don't, if they, you know, or if they have a losing record or, you know, but this is, this is one of the few schools where they just, they don't have the influence. You know what I mean? Maybe. Like, it's, it's I just like, like there's just, I, I, my, my spidey sense tells me that Northwestern is going to take a very, very measured and deliberate approach to managing their, coaching talent and the integration of Greg into the athletic department over the next couple of years. I just might like coming off of the football season where some real, you know, heavyweight shots would have been warranted. Um, especially given what was, what happened and what was said at the end of 2019. I just, my sense is just that they are going to take, take it real slow. Let's put it this way. Scuzz. If I am, let's say sometime in, in late March, early April, tipping back my own old Rasputin that John Rothstein has paid for. <laughs> I suspect that we will be looking at a Chris Collins departure shortly thereafter, but everything you say is right though. I mean, you're, you're not wrong about anything, but, do, but do again, they, it's, do they serve old Rasputin in Wrigleyville? We're going to, we're going to start influencing the potential location of this, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But but I mean, regardless, I mean, it's it is in terms of of actual happenings, right, or major things. This was the bit of Northwestern news that that dominated the week, and it, it's certainly bad news. And yeah, I mean, you know, a bunch of people from Louis Vacare to to anybody else have made the point that look, Northwestern has had major guys decommit in basketball before. And ultimately spun it into gold in the long run. And we have, we're full of belief that that can happen again. It's just, yeah. Thanks, 2021. Awesome. Three, three days to go. <laughs> let's, let's, let's be done with this stupid year. Yeah, seriously. Um, you know, as far as the on the court uh, action, there really hasn't been any in a while with the, uh, yeah, apparently the, both the men's and women's teams have been having some COVID issues. Uh, you know, the, we talked about the DePaul game being canceled. The Prairie View A&M game was canceled. Um, so we're looking at the next game for the men, uh, the January 2nd game at home against Michigan State. So do we, you know, do we know, I don't know if it matters, but do we know if it was canceled because of uh, COVID in Northwestern's program or was it Prairie, Prairie Views? I know DePaul was DePaul. Yeah, I'm just I, curious. I think I saw that it was ours but it could be both and i i don't know that i yeah. i i'm not going to go on record and say i know for sure one way or the other so uh, that, that that that's totally fair and, and i know the women's team 
um, has had a couple games canceled now, and it's been um, it, it was cited that the Northwestern team had uh, was had the one well, the one having COVID problems. So. Yeah, the the big one be, uh, there was the uh, the Solstice game against Oregon, which I think it was very highly anticipated. I was definitely excited for it, um, but that was that game was canceled. Uh, the game at Minnesota was postponed, so they are looking to try to reschedule that. And I, I did see today that the Big Ten is kind of changing their language on cancellations and forfeits. Um, I believe going into the season, uh, they it was pretty hard and dry. If your team is ha- having issues, then you will forfeit the game. But with the new CDC guidelines on uh, on quarantining for positive tests um, and what we're learning about the this new Omicron strain, it seems like there's more flexibility and you know they're going to do more to try to to make things happen because you're not you know a positive test does not put you out for 10 days no questions asked right and i think that's where you're going to see i and, and that's the thing right i think we may not be to the end of the cancellations up front but i think you're going to try to see those schedules and what i think you'll probably see from NCAA hoops as a whole is kind of like delay 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 and a big part of that and, and, you know, I don't mean like indefinite delay. I think it's a lot more to your point, right? They're trying to see exactly the new CDC guidelines, how the NCAA is going to interpret that, how things are going to shake out, right? Like how this is all going to get applied and trickle down to college sports. Is it going to change again, right? Like over the next month, like how is this all going to play out? And some of these schools to an extent are going to be like, look, let's kick the can down the road. And it could be that, you know, Omicron plays out, I mean, you know, furiously knocking wood that two months, three months from now, Omicron, Omicron plays out, you know, in a situation where college sports is able to kind of coalesce and put this together and find a way to easily just move those games to the back end, right, and play those. And we'll see how that all kind of shakes out. Um, but it's in the short term, right, I mean, it, it means that I think you're looking at some cancellations and kind of echoing that. I forget if we talked about this on the previous pod, Northwestern as a university is looking at remote classes for, I think the first half of January right now. So students are still going to be coming back, but the school has already, you know, recorded cases, you know, a fair amount of cases around, I think among the Northwestern student body going into the holiday break. And they're expecting that there are going to be even more cases on the back end. So they're just going remote classes for the first half. And it, and it kind of echoes the same thing, right? I think you're getting a lot of that across colleges and college sports that's like, all right, we need to see how this is going to play out. How is this going to shake out over the next couple of months, you know, or the next couple of weeks? So again, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a couple of more cancellations, but at the same time, I think the schools are very much like that Minnesota game going to be like, all right, let's just kick this can. We'll find a place to do these. If they have to push the tourney back, they'll push the tourney back, et cetera. But I think with the ultimate goal of not losing any any more games, at least conference games. Yeah, postponing instead of canceling, I, I think is what we're going to be seeing a little bit more, at least you know in in the near future. Right. So, on a lighter note, Northwestern men's hoops that much longer to be uh, to be undefeated in Big Ten play. Although, as of right now, that Michigan State game is still on the books. Correct. Yes. As of, as of recording this on the uh, evening of Tuesday, the 28th of December. Yeah, so we, we, we shall see. Um, but so, I mean, hope, I, hopefully they get to play it. That would be great. But uh, I don't think any of us would be too surprised if they kick that can a little bit farther on. Shall we uh, turn our attention to the Bulls? The Bulls! The Bulls! Um, a bunch more games happened. Um, a few did not. Uh, I, I know Memphis and Hawaii uh, did not get to play the Hawaii Bowl um, with Hawaii having to bow out due to uh, transfers and COVID and everything. Um, Memphis gets a trip to Hawaii for Christmas. And I, I believe they took the, the, the Hawaii Bowl trophy home with them <laughs> just because, yeah, I mean, it wasn't wasn't their fault. I mean, the Hawaii Bowl trophy is the experience of going to Hawaii, so they all absolutely took that trophy home with them. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I hope that they were able to kind of let those Memphis players who were stuck there again. A lot of people made the point that they were away from their families and everything. 
on Christmas for a game they didn't end up playing. And here's hoping that they at least got to really get the maximum bowl experience and or the maximum Hawaii experience out of that, I hope at least. Um, some other games or a number of games have been canceled. Another couple other games have been uh, affected with one team dropping out, but uh, able to come up with uh, last minute replacements, which is why Rutgers is going to be playing on New Year's Eve uh, in the Gator Bowl, we'll we'll talk about that in uh, in our previews here in just a sec. But um, you know, b- before we get to that, uh, you know the the Military Bowl, Boston College and East Carolina had to cancel. Um, the SMU Virginia Wasabi Fenway Bowl had to cancel uh, today. Um, I blame Wasabi tomorrow. Yeah, no, I mean they they didn't have the right wasabi. You know, if if you don't have the right balance, it's gonna blow out your sinuses. <laughs> I mean, again, it's it's this. We talked about it last week. It was mustard and horseradish dyed green. The wasabi lobby. It's exact kind of crap that the wasabi lobby is trying to get out of this game. You know, you got to have the real thing. <laughs> um, any other games kind of jump out at you guys that, that you've been able to see or at least pay attention to? Um, you know, I, as we're recording, uh, Texas Tech is. Uh, well, finished, uh, end up beating up on Mississippi State, uh, 34 to 7. Uh, so the Mike Leach Bowl goes to the old team and not the current team, but it sounded like Mississippi State just couldn't care less about playing in this game, um, but played anyway. It's so, it's funny. This, it's, it's almost more of a statement on what you were just talking about relative to the specific games, but the dollars and cents of these games, right? And the, the fact that, I mean, obviously, we've all talked about that it stinks for the players, right? And it stinks for the players that, through whatever reasons, they're not getting to play in these games or teams are having to back out. And, of course, regardless of which team he tests, you know, has guys test positive, which, I mean, real talk, Omicron positive tests are just sweeping the nation right now. I mean, honestly, which team is testing positive is almost academic. Um, But the real money that is at stake, too, and it's wild. I mean, like, one of the the, the teams that's kind of making out like a bandit from this is central Michigan, right. Who they're switching bowls from the, whatever it was, was it like the barstool? Yeah. The bowl? barstool Arizona bowl. Yeah. Boise excited. state, Boise state oh. had to drop out. They'd already gotten to uh, Tucson or that game was. And, you know, with, um, with uh, Miami having to drop out of the sun bowl, uh, probably better for Miami to not go to the Sun Bowl because every time Miami goes to El Paso, bad things happen to them. Um, but they just have to go down the down the freeway in a couple hours to El Paso, and now they're going to be playing Washington State in the uh, in the Sun Bowl. Yeah, and and for Central Michigan, I mean, you're talking about a MAC team that was happy to take the whatever it was two hundred twenty five grand they were going to get out of the GoDaddy Bowl. This payout is three point five million. And they get that money. So it's like for Central Michigan, they're making $3.25 million on top of what they already were. And I mean, you know, great roll of the dice for them. But what that kind of drums home is you got to play the game to get the money. And, you know, clearly like these, these things are all written in stone, which means that all these teams that have to drop out, you know, the schools are missing out on these bowl payouts as well, which again, it's like, again, there's part of this that only highlights the extent to which money has worked its way into this whole equation in ways that are kind of uncomfortable. Um, I would say, you know, the one good thing is at least most of these bowl teams got their bowl practices in, so they got that benefit. But it's it's wild that, you know, I mean, we just had UCLA just on the eve of the Holiday Bowl, right, just canceled. And, I, you know, whatever that payout is, you know, that's just a big payout that they're not that they're not getting. And, and I would assume NC state's not getting either. So um, yeah, that's just some general craziness to all this. I mean, beyond that. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's, I don't know, Scuzz, if you have anything in terms of actually what's happened on the field. Well, I just, I have a little bit of advice first, and that is that um, you can still go in and, and I just checked it and did it. Um, Cause I had picked the other, the other team. Um, Unless you think that Rutgers' sun, sudden, you know, elevation to bowl status is going to um, result in a a spirited performance against what is a absolutely ludicrously good Wake Forest offense, um, I highly encourage you to log into your 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 form in the in in the in the Bowl Mania Challenge in the, in the Westlaw Pirates group 
and adjust your pick in that game. Um, you might even be able to move your confidence points, but it seems like that's kind of tricky. You can move your confidence points uh, to other games that have not been played. So, like, if you have certain... Well, what I, I'm, I'm trying to do that, and it's not working. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> my understanding was you could, but, you know, confidence is weird. Um, oh, I, you know what? I can only move it one slot at a time. So, ah, that's, that's the thing. Is I can, so, I had, I, had it at, I had it at 8. I had to move it up to 9 and then to 10. Now, I've moved it to 12. Um, let's see if I can move it up to 15. Yep. So like, you just got to move it one slot at a time. You can't take it all the way to the top right away. Um, and believe you me, I want to take it all the way to the top. <laughs> Forrest Rucker is my God. Um, I, I just, I just want to definitively say that there's no combination of pick moving and confidence allocation. That's going to make me any way competitive in this capital one bowl challenge. So I, I'm not going to do anything. There's nothing digging me out of the hole that I'm in right now. Uh, props to you guys right now as we uh, um, as we're recording this. You are currently in first place uh, with you know, 244 points, 10 and 10 uh, wins and losses. So uh, your high confidence points have come back well. Um, you know, 93.3 percentile in the uh, yeah as as far as confidence points taken. So yeah, my, my my goal was um, load up early mm-hmm. on what seem to be you know some mismatches on paper and even though they're you know you get some miss some misses as well some hits that like i think we were all pretty high on Deion sanders and jackson state and that did not play out well yep um but regardless you know it's a crap i'm, I'm literally i'm literally 10 and 10 um and and shout so. out again to my daughter who's still leading as far as wins and losses go she's 14 <laughs> and 6 it's amazing, amazing. i think i I think the only on-field thing that I want to point out um, is something that happened earlier today, and that is that um, uh, ESPN ran another uh, four-hour infomercial for Auburn during a bowl game, and um, I might add a bowl game that Auburn lost to a, <laughs> two years to in a row. much less ballyhooed college football school. Um, this is two years in a row running. Uh, this might be this might be the new uh, Brian Harson superpower. I don't know. Yeah, and it was it was to the point where Dana Holgerson was like livid about it in the post game press conference, and I don't even know if he knew the extent to which the well, announcers would not he, shut up about Auburn in this game. I don't think he knew anything about that. It's that it's that they made him wait. They interviewed Brian Harson first after the game, and he had to wait, and he was pissed. Well, to be fair, I mean, the the real crime there is that those poor announcers had to wait an entire game before they could interview Brian Harson. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the in-game interview, like he's coaching now, but like he's he can do both, right? Right, exactly. Well, he can, what can't Brian Harson do? I think is the question. Win, um, win a bowl, bowl game. game, apparently. Over <laughs> over twenty twenty one. Auburn Tigers, 0-2 in 2021, yeah. The, oh, the other he part... lost two bowl games in a calendar year. Well, Another he... Brian Harson superpower. Yeah. He wasn't coaching Amazing. the first one, but he was their uh, coach. That's yeah. true. And, well, and he was featured more during the broadcast than anybody on the actual Auburn coaching staff. So, right, uh, correct. Or, or the Northwestern coaching staff. So, the yeah, the the only other thing I'll say, too, but I, I kind of want to don't, don't want to step on it, because I know it's where we're going to be going with a lot of the games we're going to be talking about is just um, trying to peg these games relative to the fact that guys are waiting until the very last minute to decide whether or not they're going to play. And in in some of these games, that's making a major impact. Yeah. So let's uh, pick up our previews. Um, You know, we mentioned the, uh, the Gator Bowl, Wake Forest and Rutgers, Um, you know, Congratulations, Rutgers! Five and seven, you get to go bowling and get curb stomped by Wake Forest. Uh, Wake is a fourteen and a half point favorite. Um, that's at ten a.m. I, I just want to point out. So, John, I think you tweeted, um, ba- like, like basically looking at Northwestern's record and how you know. So let me let me back up. Rutgers was top five in in APR, I think, this year. I think they had the the highest APR. Of five Among and five and seven teams, yeah. right? Northwestern right. was a higher APR, and I think that the point of the tweet was like, "Wow, you don't have to squint too hard to see how Northwestern could have gotten to five wins, and my God, we could have been like going to the Gator Bowl." And I just, I want to emphasize, like, 
this was not a desire to see this Northwestern team for 2021 right. curb stomped by Wake Forest, um, which it's who is a, just... a really good team that averaged what, like 40 something points per game. So like Rutgers, good, good luck. God, <laughs> you know, bless your soul. That tweet began with this hurts our brain to think about. Yep. <laughs> like, Still. We it's more just the ridiculousness. And to your point, like into that ridiculousness, we can like we can fold. We all saw this Rutgers team. You were all there. You all saw it. That team's playing in a bowl game. Like North, any bowl Northwestern game. beat the tar out of that team. Yeah. That game was never competitive. Yes. <laughs> just oh God. Boggles the mind. What's really interesting is, you know, the Gator Bowl, it's in Jacksonville, it's at the Jaguars Stadium. Shad Khan, uh, the owner of the Jaguars, Illinois grad. Illinois, Illinois was next up on the APR list, uh, and I know Khan was really kind of seeing how he could get in, get involved, and get Illinois to that game. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess Shad Khan should have like spotted up to get Rutgers to go to Hawaii, right? And that would have opened up the uh, the opportunity for Illinois. Yeah, just divert the plane kind of mid-flight. You know, instead of Jacksonville, take a left. Go to Hawaii. I mean, he owns a small country, right? I don't know. Right. Which, again, with respect to what Illinois did to us, I mean, Wake Forest, it's funny. We've we've mentioned Wake Forest a little bit, but, I mean, a a couple of things about Wake Forest. One was, you know, way back when Northwestern was looking at um, an offensive coordinator before we hired Bajakian, Warren Ruggiero at Wake Forest was one of the names that we had talked about, right, Um, because of the obvious, you know, similarity and type of school right and also that warren rogier i believe was also a quarterback's coach so there was that piece of it that was going to be able to slot in also well since then warren rogier's stock has only skyrocketed higher because this wave forest offense was absolutely ludicrous this year right um and i think there that is a a super strong team that's just i mean i think regardless of you know what Rutgers and again Rutgers you could look in the you know the Michigan game is their cap right the the feather in their cap where they you know played a Michigan team that is in the college football playoff very close but with that said Michigan had some major offensive issues they were trying to work through at the time and Wake Forest does not have those issues so I just don't see how Rutgers is pulling this out let's move to the Sun Bowl 11 a.m central time on uh CBS uh, the one game that's not on the ESPN family of networks now that the Barstool uh, Bowl was canceled uh, and the and the Holiday Bowl was canceled. That, that's a Fox game, so they don't get that one either. So, you know, the monopoly of uh, ESPN on the bowl slate uh, continues unabated. Um, that being said, Washington State uh, gets to play Central Michigan. Uh, Wazoo is seven-point favorite. Interestingly, unlike Wake Forest Rutgers, this game has been stricken from the College Bowl uh, Mania Challenge, so you cannot change your pick or earn points from this game regardless, which is really too bad because like Washington State over Miami was, to me, one of the surest possible bets in this whole bowl season because I have seen Miami in the Sun Bowl before. I have been to the Sun Bowl, and it's not warm in El Paso, and that typically does not go well for Miami, but um, who knows how Central Michigan will play this Seems like a mismatch on its face uh, because of that, uh, you know, because Central Michigan is essentially like moving up in class a couple jumps here. But um, but who 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 knows? They they might be stoked to, you know, to be getting this opportunity to play on a bigger stage. And it's just I think they just had to take like a four hour bus ride from Tempe to get there. Yeah, it's not not even that long. It's weird. You got that weird Ewing thing, Ewing theory thing happening with Nick Rolovich, right? Where Washington State's played very strong football in the back half of the season without the coach who was head coach at the start of the year. But I mean, who are we kidding? The winner of this game is Central Michigan. They've already won it. They have 3.25 million reasons why they've won this game already. So they're uh, it's uh, win or lose like Central Michigan is, is already the big winner here. Uh, then we go to the playoff, uh, New Year's oh Eve, um, the afternoon game, 2.30 on ESPN Central Time. The Cotton Bowl, Cincinnati, Alabama, Bama, a 13 and a half point favorite. Scuzz, you're in Cincinnati. What's the buzz like just in town? I think the buzz is basically like, we just don't want to get embarrassed. Sure, um, sure. 
I mean, I think like you can look at, so Cincinnati has lost one game in the last two calendar years. And it was a three point last second field goal against Georgia in the sugar bowl last year. I think peach bowl, I think peach bowl. Thank you. Um, as as much as that, you know, buoys your your hope and your confidence and your desire for for Cincinnati to be able to play with the big boys, like Georgia in the Peach Bowl is a different animal from Alabama or Georgia, for that matter, in the playoff. And Cincinnati is supremely talented. They have an awesome coach. Desmond Ritter might be the best QB in this class about to come out. Um like the talent on the back end of their secondary is legit. It is NFL talent across the board in the Cincinnati secondary. However, I don't know that they have the front seven to, you know, force Alabama to do anything that Alabama doesn't want to do. And this just, it, it, it's one of the, like most UC people I'm talking to are like, I just hope it's not an annihilation and that we show out and, and, you know, make it a game. But I think there are no, there's no like, there's obviously hope that they might win. There's no expectation though. Okay. Yeah, I think if this was, I mean, and to again, we're, we're, we'll get there in a little bit. But if this was a non-playoff game, yeah, then totally different. Cincinnati might have the benefit of a bunch of Alabama guys declaring early and not playing in the game. But Cincinnati's getting the full Alabama bat, Alabama battle station here, and. I mean, it is true, though. I mean, like when you think about the secondary and the best parts of the Cincinnati defense, the Cincinnati defense that's beaten the tar out of everybody this season, almost no one on this offensive Alabama offense is the best player the guys in the Cincinnati secondary are going to see over the next five years because those guys are all going to the NFL. So it's like from that perspective, it's like those guys are definitely ready for this game, but right. I think, you know, if Alabama starts running the ball and they have the ability to just grind and plow like that. And then on the flip side, like, I mean, I guess the positive way to say it would be like Ritter's going to have to have the absolute game of his life in this one. And and, and Jerome, Jerome Ford as well, who, who is an Alabama transfer and he's been the superstar at, at, at running back for Cincinnati. Um, but that like Cincinnati needs all the things to fall in line for them, right? I mean, I, I think Alabama is it Mechie is out for Alabama is injured. They probably need Alabama to be taking this game lightly. They need Bryce Young to have a bad game. Like they just, they need so many things to fall in their favor to uh, for this to, for this to to work out. Yeah, I mean they could get a couple of breaks, and it's like I think the biggest thing is just it's very very unlikely to happen, but for Alabama to not play good football which has happened and certainly happened in the iron bowl this year. Yeah. I mean, um, Bama, so you're saying there's a chance the, the, yeah. Bama looked beatable at times this year. I mean, at times, then they played in the sec championship game and looked like the fully armed and operational battle station. But, uh, you know, there, this is not the perfect Alabama of seasons past. Hey, right. I remember they're, they're damn remember, good. They're damn good, though. I remember thinking Alabama in 2015 was pretty darn close to perfect, and that Cardell Jones had no business being on the same field. And right. then, like, oops. So, like, it's happened before. It could happen again. It's just you know, not particularly right. likely. Right. I mean, I think my a, a major Alabama win is the, is probably what I'm leaning here, but. Get, let's go Cincinnati. I mean, I'm so glad they're getting the chance. They deserve it. These are two teams that almost never lose football games, and that's awesome that they're going up ahead against each other. So let's hope for a good game. And they're two teams that would never play each other aside right. out of a situation like this. So this is this is really, really cool for Cincinnati. Um, obviously, when they move to the Big 12 in a couple years, you might start to see these kind of matchups a little bit more for them. Um and that that's definitely exciting for that program. So moving to the other playoff game, uh, six thirty central on ESPN, uh, Georgia, Michigan and the orange bowl, Georgia, a seven and a half point favorite, uh, in this one. I mean, it, it's Michigan's running attack, which is really good against Georgia's defense, which is insane. But yeah, it's also I... maybe that like, 
Georgia's quarterback and offense are not particularly great. And Aiden Hutchinson and the, and the Michigan defense just looked really good against a much better offense yeah. uh, of Ohio State's. I like, I don't know. This is a, I'm, I'm struggling with this one. Cause I like my immediate reaction was, Oh yeah, Georgia for sure. But that SEC championship game, I mean, that is going to sting. That is going to linger. And that is some tape that the Michigan staff is going to be watching over and over and over again. And they're a talented team. I like, I don't know. That's it's, it's, it's a fascinating matchup. Like there's a reason this is the primetime game. Yeah. I guess I would come back to like, everyone's heaping plaudits on the Wolverines for their performance in the Ohio state game, which just about everyone thought they were going to lose going into that game. So it's kind of like, you kind of have to be like, all right, everyone yeah, thought that fair. they were going to, everyone thought they were going to lose that game going in. They played out of their minds in that game. But like the biggest thing for me, I don't know how the Wolverines score points in this game because I just think they're going to have a really hard time running the ball. And if they can't run the ball, I just don't have a lot of faith in Cade McNamara to make this happen for them. Um, which again, people love to say the same thing about Stetson Bennett on the other side of the ball. So, but what? Shall... But what if Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh have spent the last two weeks of bowl prep installing finally JJ McCarthy? The JJ McCarthy package? Hey, maybe not the package. Uh, not the package. Him starting or or being being heavily featured in the passing game in a way that he hasn't been to date, because you you marked this, John, as we as we prepped for Michigan on our on our slate, because like one of the things that was surprising about them, they lost all their receiver talent. Like big time graduations, injuries, et cetera. They were down to like nothing. And the guys that 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 have, have come out and shown up and performed this year are legit speedy deep threats and the the problem is McNamara and if you can get JJ comfortable back there with his arm and his talent I don't know like that that's an that's an element of of dynamicism that Michigan has not had all year and I go back to uh I forget what game it was but um I think Joel Klatt was on the call and was talking about this exact point, like right after we had made it, maybe the week after we played Michigan. I think it was was against Michigan State. I don't know, but they were talking about like, you know, Michigan is going with the safe, you know, the safe play and Cade McNamara, yada, yada. But like, I just, I feel like without, you know, that higher ceiling, they're just, they're going to struggle to beat the, the teams that can go toe to toe with them from a talent perspective. And I just, I mean, if it were me, well, if it were me, I would have started J.J. McCarthy to start the year and let him get him get his sea legs so he was ready for, you know, November. But um, I don't know. So one one thing I, I'm, I've am i been trying to think about is, you know, you got the, the, the four units on the team, the Michigan offense, Michigan defense, Georgia offense, Georgia defense. What do we think? How do you, we think that ranks? Do you think Michigan's defense is better than Georgia's defense? No, but no. Michigan's defense is better than Georgia's offense. Okay, so so you would say Georgia defense, then Michigan defense, then Michigan offense, then Georgia offense, probably potentially, potentially, yeah. I think. I mean, I I think it's one of those things too, which is like it's the kind of stuff that makes people hate Michigan. Is there's a huge portion of the country that thinks that Aiden Hutchinson's the best defensive player in the country, and Michigan's the best defense in the country, and you know. Georgia is definitely the better defense. Yes. Yeah. Oh, in- oh, 1 million percent. Yeah. But, and that but, defense was absolutely terrifying in every single game up until the SEC championship game where the guy won, where a guy won the Heisman by doing so well against them. So it's like, you know, I kind of expect a reversion to form here. So if it's a low scoring game on both sides of the ball, though, the, it, it'll be there for the Wolverines. But I think because, uh, Cause that's where I'm coming from is like Georgia hasn't needed to score points cause they didn't play a, a live corpse all year until yeah. Alabama and got smoked. I see them really struggling to score on Michigan as well. Which defense do you think is going to score points? I, I really could that come down to the like, turnovers and we'll, we'll get defensive scores. And therein is what has probably kept Jim Harbaugh up at night for two weeks. Cause yeah, he's right. probably thinking 
God, I need JJ McCarthy to be able to stretch this defense. And oh God, if I play him, is he going to turn it over and kill us? Should I stick with like that? I mean, that and honestly, if I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out guns blazing, going for like an aggressive get up early and then go conservative late. And I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out with like, let's start with Cade and do what we've been doing all year and, and see what happens. And if we get down by two scores, well then maybe we pull the shoot and, and, and see if we can, we can come back. I like, I like, I, I have to think that this has been the primary area of focus for him for, for the entire bowl prep. Turning our attention to New Year's Day, uh, starting to slate off with the Outback Bowl, uh, 11 o'clock Central on ESPN2, Penn State and Arkansas. Um, you know, Penn State having some opt-outs. Uh, Jahan Dotson um, you know, among the most notable uh, players not playing in this game for Penn State. But Arkansas is a one-point favorite here. Uh, what do you guys think? The Arkansas think- D was really good during the year, and then they seemed to struggle, and I, like... I guess I'm starting to be colored a little bit by the SEC's early struggles in games that like pre- predominantly don't matter. But um, like the Texas Tech Mississippi State blowout tonight has got me kind of really questioning. I mean, they're like SEC's 0 4 at this stage, right? Um, so I, I don't know. I like, I thought Arkansas's D was really good and they could also score points and that Penn State would be really be hampered. Um, particularly without Dotson, who's been the only thing for them on offense, but their defense is really good too. So this might be, you know, like a 17, 10 type affair that, that could go either way. Yeah. I think if anything, both of these teams are kind of a little underrated. I mean, Penn state's got five losses, but every one of those games was close and yeah, they were kind of snake bit, but then you look at Arkansas and Arkansas got absolutely obliterated by Georgia, but, like, get in line. Like, Georgia obliterated <laughs> everybody who wasn't Alabama on their schedule. And Clemson. And they didn't obliterate uh, Clemson at the beginning of the year. Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah, in hindsight, that game actually looks pretty horrible. Yeah, for I, I should have thought we should have thought about that maybe a little bit more. Yeah, at the time, at the time seemed like a big win for them. Now, not so much. But the but Arkansas played, you know, they played Alabama tight, right? Um, their other losses were close losses. So... And, you know, they started off the season white hot. So I feel like both of these teams are capable of playing really good football. And aside from Dotson, I mean, who is a big loss, I think these teams are are both pretty strong. So I think low-key, this is a really big game for both of these teams. And if if it's Arkansas that takes a win out of this game, I feel like that's going to be a a major thing for them moving into next season because, sneakily, they had a very good team this year. Well, and what could have been a big dramatic kind of like – cloud hanging over this game will he won't he with james franklin i mean him him he he's basically said like i want to be a penn state right like resigning with them i know i know like the length of the deal doesn't mean anything but like if he was ever going to jump this seemed like the year to do it with you know usc and all these other places open um and he didn't I mean, and that's all it all it took was for Lincoln Riley to get hired at USC for James Franklin to have a rock solid commitment in the Penn State. <laughs> but like, but like he can't. I mean, he he can, you know, uh, jump to leave somewhere else. But like, like at this stage, he's he's there for at least the next three or four years. Yeah, I would assume so. And again, it, which is kind of funny because as. Close games as Penn State's played this year. They lose this game. They're what seven and six this yep. season. So yeah. close losses are still losses, and they've chalked up a bunch of them. Uh, noon Central on ESPN. You've got the Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma State and Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame a two and a half point favorite here. So if this game had been played within a week of Marcus Freeman being named head coach, I like Notre Dame by a million. Yeah. Um, the the excitement of that has had a chance to wear down a little bit probably or not wear down but just like you know i don't i don't think like the the players would have been coming out of the locker room like literally on fire um the in the 7 days you know following his his hiring i still think they're going to be fired up but um no hamilton in this game um they're they're big time uh, safety no kyron williams they're uh you know running back who's been the absolute heart of their offense uh, the last 2 years so I, I don't know. This is a really hard one for me to peg because it seems like at the same time, like Oklahoma state got, 
you know, just fell off a cliff at the end of the year. And it's like another disappointment for Oklahoma state. Like Notre Dame is at least, you know, presumably somewhat excited to play in the Fiesta Bowl, right? I don't, I think Oklahoma state's pretty disappointed. They had higher sights. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things too, where it's like Oklahoma state technically came what, like about an inch to two inches from winning the big 12 championship. Um, But on the other hand, you can look at Oklahoma state as almost like, they are almost emblematic of how weak the Big 12 is right now and why the Big 12 desperately needs to expand and add teams like Cincinnati. Because, like, you look at their schedule and, like, when they played the dregs of this weak conference, right, like, I mean, they beat Texas by eight. They destroyed Kansas. They destroyed West Virginia. They destroyed TCU. They destroyed Texas Tech. But those are all weak football teams. And then it's, like, Oklahoma, who is kind of eh, They played them really tight and got a close win. They lost to Iowa State, right? They played Baylor twice and basically kind of almost played those two games both basically even. And out of conference, this team beat Tulsa by five. They beat Boise State by one. Like, the Big 12 is just not a great conference. And they're kind of one of the vanguards of that conference. But, I mean, I think it'd be pretty fair to say they have not played a team at Notre Dame's caliber. Um, this season. And if you look at the only teams they've played that are remotely close, they didn't do particularly well against those teams. So to me, I just feel like Oklahoma state has not played a defense remotely at the caliber of Notre Dame. And I think that's going to carry the day. Also at noon on ABC, you've got the Verbo citrus bowl, Iowa and Kentucky. Fascinating matchup. This one is Kentucky's a three point favorite. Um, yeah, I, I, what do you think? What, what do you make of this matchup here? So so no Goodson for Iowa. So that like just decimates what was a horrible Iowa offense even more. But we've said all year that Iowa just thrives on turnovers. And Will Levis, the former Penn State QB, who's Kentucky's QB, throws a lot of picks. So I, like, I don't know. Yeah, I, Iowa that... won't score offensively, um, but they might get like three pick sixes and win 21 to nothing. I know it's hilarious because it's like Kentucky's best attribute is their run defense. And like that's <laughs> I played some pretty good run defenses and was horrible against those run defenses and found a way to win some of those games. So just like Scott said, I feel like this game's gonna come down to how many defensive points does the Iowa defense score. If that number is zero, I don't see how they win this game. Uh you got the Rose Bowl, four o'clock central on ESPN. Utah and Ohio State. Um, pretty much every Ohio State wide receiver has opted out of this yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, danger Will Robinson. <laughs> yeah, um, but they're still a four and a half point favorite. I don't know. I, I if they struggle with the Michigan running game, I mean, I just, I mean, it's it's hard not to ascribe a hell of a lot of laundry to this line right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How disrespected is Utah feeling? They've kicked the shit twice out of a team that beat Ohio State. And like, I mean, so. That's a very different, different, very different Oregon team from what they were at the beginning of the year. But your point is well taken. And I mean, like, so Utah's got to be pretty mad. And again, I mean, I I would say uh, count me. I won't necessarily put this on you guys of CJ Stroud being one of the more overrated players in the country. And to me, the idea that, I mean, again, this guy had the keys to forget a Ferrari, the keys to a McLaren this season, right? Well, now a ton of those pieces are out the window, right? He's got a a nicely tuned Porsche for this game, right? Against a very good Utah defense. So let's see him do something. If he's you know, Mr. Heisman Trophy candidate that he was built up to be all season, then he should be able to do a hell of a lot without all of those NFL receivers against a good defense. So let's see him do it. I want to see that happen. Um, but I think Utah's the better team here. I think with that depleted thing, I know Ohio State's going to really want to run the ball. And I think if Travion Henderson has a big game, that will be the difference in this one. But I think I think Utah's in a great situation. I think that's the saving grace for Ohio State because uh, Oregon couldn't run the ball and Utah just bludgeoned them. And if 
like Ohio State has to figure out, you know, run defense because like that was definitely a bit of a struggle against Michigan. I don't, you know, I'm not going to say Utah is on the same caliber as Michigan, but they're like a, a nasty physical team. And if Ohio State comes into this with the wrong mindset, they're going to get thumped. Um, that being said, I think Henderson's good enough. That O line is good enough. The threat of their passing game is still somewhat legit. Um, and you you're giving Ryan Day, who's a really good offensive coach, a lot of time to figure out what to do without Olave and Wilson. I mean. Also, let's, let's not forget um, Utah has been playing just with all the tragedy that's gone on with that program. I believe two of their players passed away this season. Um, and wow. the way they came, the, that just galvanized them in a really, really big way. So, like, they're going to want to come out and, you know, really show out and kind of put the finishing touches on this really special season uh, for them. So, I don't know. How much does Ohio State really want to be there? We'll see. Yeah, I mean, you make, a, you make a great point, though, that it's like Utah's played inspired football. They've had a dream season. They've played phenomenal football all year. Pac-12 or no Pac-12, Utah's been awesome the entire season. And, I mean, like, why should that stop now against the depleted Ohio State team? Then uh, last game of the slate on New Year's Day, you've got the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Baylor and Ole Miss. Uh, Mississippi is a one and a half point favorite um, over the Big Twelve champion Baylor Bears. I like like repeat everything John said about the Big Twelve. Like this, you know, Baylor. Absolutely. Baylor was a flawed team in many many ways this year. I mean, you like they needed basically a miracle goal line stand um, to beat Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve championship game and. Granted, Ole Miss was, you know, is not Georgia, um, but they just seem like they have a much higher ceiling now. Like this is this is this is another one where I like I assume Baylor's pretty excited about this. I don't know how. I, old, when was the last time Ole Miss played in the game as as a uh, Ballyhood as the Sugar Bowl? I don't know. Like so, this is one where motivations are, are maybe a little hard to figure out, but um, it just. It just feels to me like Ole Miss. I, I think Matt Coral is playing. Is that correct? I believe so. I haven't. I haven't seen otherwise. But Ole Miss is QB. So that like that's been that's kind of been my barometer for a lot of these these games. You know, earlier in the season is like, it is the is the superstar QB playing for Team A or Team B? And if they are, like that's a pretty good bet. If Matt Coral doesn't announce that he's he's leaving Ole Miss early to fulfill his dream of becoming a full time hairdresser. I don't think the uh, I I think Baylor Bears are going to be in big trouble. It's funny. I almost wanted to make a joke about, you know, did Matt Coral have a good year? I'm not really aware. Just so our friend Chris Giannini of Winning Cures Everything could actually try to punch me through the podcast, through the air. <laughs> because this whole thing all year is that like Ole Miss has been awesome and, you know, we or the Heisman committee, et cetera, hasn't been giving them enough respect. And that offense has been unreal. And Coral's numbers are awesome. And Baylor has not seen something like this. And Baylor shouldn't be in this game because, you mean, you talked about a miracle. Ole Miss, I mean, Oklahoma State drove down the field at the end of that game, had to punch it in and proceeded to run some of the most head-scratching plays you'll ever see, and then basically gave the game away. And... That that game's the only reason why Baylor's here, and yeah, I I but, think Ole Miss is probably going to shred them. By by the same token, isn't every like everything we just said? You could also say about Texas Tech and Ole Miss, or I mean Texas Tech and Mississippi State, right? Like Will Rogers, great QB, air raid, having a heck of a season. Like you True. know, Leach has finally gotten there, and they're gonna you know wipe this. Also ran from the Big Twelve off the off the mat. I don't know. Uh, last bowl game on the slate before the national championship is uh, Tuesday, January 4th. You've got the Tax Act Texas Bowl, LSU and Kansas State at the uh, NRG Stadium in Houston. Kansas State, a three and a half point favorite. I, I What is this LSU team? Like, honestly. Well, they do have a quarterback because Miles Brennan came out of the transfer portal. So he can play. He can be, he'll be playing in this game, which... Is I mean we when the, when we first saw the bowl slate we thought maybe they didn't have a QB. Yeah, it's true because th- weren't they like the ones that they weren't going to be able to play their freshman because he would lose a year of it. He would burn his red shirt because he's played. Yep. Yeah. To uh, 
I think to to continue Roger Sherman's Nick Foles joke that he made uh, after Nick Foles pulled off the big win for the Bears this past weekend, I think LSU's real move here is to hire Ed Orgeron as interim coach for this bowl game. (laughs) (laughs) Interim coach Ed Orgeron cannot be stopped. Um, And I think, you know, that's what that's what needs to happen here. But no, I don't know. It does seem like LSU overall, like kind of just wants to be done with this year and move on. They they want to get Brian Kelly going and like make the transition complete. Right. Exactly. Well, I think, you know, Brian Kelly's his, his family in his deep roots, he's already put together this big jambalaya cook-off that, that his family holds every year and deep in the backwoods of, (laughs) of Louisiana for all the players. So they're just trying to get that as quickly as they can, I think. (sighs) Oh, I, I don't yep. think I yeah. I don't think I realized the national championship game is uh, in Indy this year. That, that's a that's a fun place for the national championship game to be played. Indeed, it is, especially if Michigan gets there. Oh God, by, yeah. by hook or by crook. Uh, so yeah, those are the ball games. Um, that kind of concludes our previews. Um, before we get out of here, uh, there is some some sad news to report. Um. You know, we found out this evening that uh, John Madden, um, who everyone knows, you know, former Raiders coach, broadcaster forever, the Madden football game, he passed away uh, this morning, which is just, you know, a tragic loss. Um, you know, John Madden is NFL football. I mean, can you think of one person who just embodies what NFL football is more than John Madden? Nope. No. And it, what's crazy, too, is the way – talk about a guy who makes such a defined, specific impact to three different generations, right? Like I was listening to my father-in-law being like, when I think of John Madden, I think of watching him coach for the Raiders. And of course you do because he won 100 games in 10 years. He's the greatest winning percentage for an NFL coach of anyone who's won a hundred games. And like he, and of course when the Raiders were like the bad boys of the NFL all through the seventies. Right. And like for the older generation, that's what they remember. And then there's that middle generation that I think kind of includes us certainly when we were kids and then going into our teen years, right. Of watching him broadcast and him being arguably, you know, Chris Collinsworth, I saw called him the greatest color guy ever. And I think, him just being so good. I mean, everyone remembers all of the joking moments and him doing goofy stuff and, you know, boom and all that kind of stuff. But um, just an unbelievable, like the way mapping out plays and making a complicated thing seem simple. And then of course, for everyone, for our generation and younger, I mean, it's, it's, it's unfair simply because it was just his name attached to it to hand wave Madden to hand wave the football game, right? Um, That's, like, I can specifically tell you, playing with the Houston Oilers in Madden 92 at 12 years old is how I fell in love with the game of football. Like, that's 100% how it happened. And then my love of football grew and expanded from there. But there are a million stories like that. And there are a million stories from people being like, yeah, like, Madden is the number one way I connect with football. So it's like, you have all those different parts and it's like, my God, like how much impact can one guy have? If you didn't get a chance to see the documentary on Fox on Christmas day, which he was able to see, which is really, really cool. Um, they rushed it onto streaming services. I believe it's up on Peacock ESPN plus get a chance to look at it. I, I didn't catch it live, but I cannot wait to see. I, I think I, I caught the last like, Five minutes, which was basically every interviewee saying something directly to John Madden, like how much he influenced their lives in the game of football. Um, check it out. I like that's next up on my list uh, of things to watch. And now that you know they rushed it into the uh, the streaming platforms as quickly as possible uh, with the news today, so check that out if you haven't seen it yet. And uh, one one other. One other note for it's more of a, a local Chicago uh, thing. Um, Jeff Dickerson uh, for ESPN Radio uh, 1000 here. Uh, part of the 
you know, Chicago media scene for 20 years, um, passed away today at the age of 44, uh, you know, fighting cancer, just, you know, one of the most beloved, you know, media guys out there, you know, every, no one had a bad thing to say about him. Um, just really, really highly regarded. And what's, what's even more sad is two years ago, his wife passed away to cancer and they have an 11 year old, uh, now orphan, which is just, just heartbreaking. Yeah, it's so rough. And I mean, I, he's, this is someone who, again, like you said, I mean, he's close to our age, um, went to Illinois, right? I mean, he's, he went to the Buffalo Grove. He's from Buffalo Grove, which is right up near where I live right now. And again, a major figure, like you were saying, I mean, this is someone we didn't know personally. And obviously we're just podcasters. We're not officially in media, but this is someone who very much has been a, a figure, someone from our generation who, you know, was basically going through Illinois when we were going through NU and has been a, a major figure in Chicago sports ever since then. And it's, yeah. And then you factor in just this horrible family tragedy aspect of it to it. It's, it's really rough. And it, it's something that I'm sure, you know, you really hope that the, the Chicago sports community as a whole can kind of come together to, to support him, support his family and, you know, help them come going forward. 2021 can't end soon enough. Right boys. Oh, Indeed. Boy. Horrible. The next time we talk, it's going to be 2022. So, uh, you know, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this episode. We'll go ahead and leave it there for this year. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Skazbine, Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.